Welcome to this edition of What's the Score? Let me remind you, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please click the like button wherever you listen to this program. And if you'd like to support this and future programs, I encourage you to become a patron via patreon.com. There'll be details to follow in the middle of the program. We couldn't do the program without our patrons, so thank you. And enjoy today's wonderful podcast. Today's program made possible by patrons like you. Welcome to where we celebrate music from the movies. From the golden age to present day, we've got it all covered. We talk to those in the entertainment industry and find out about their favorite scores. You found the podcast, What's the Score? I'm your host, Frank R. Wilson. So sit back, relax, grab a popcorn, and let's see what we'll be hearing today. Recognize that music? It's a favorite of our guest today. Now, our guest has been with us before, but I felt it appropriate to bring him back as he has big plans in the works in the area of film music, and in particular, James Bond music. He's a talented trumpet player, but he's also very talented at listening to film scores and then recreating them for his band that's called Cue the Music. So I hope all of you will please join me in welcoming Warren Ringham to the program. Hi, Warren. Hey, Frank, and thank you very much for having me back once again. Oh, my pleasure. Listen, I, I'm a I'm a big fan. Uh, I really am. I'm a big fan of what you guys do and, and blown away by what you guys do, as I think our listeners will be today as we uh, go through the program. Um, even though you've been with us before, we have a lot of new listeners that perhaps haven't heard your episode, so I think it's worth uh, kind of giving our listeners a chance to get to know you a little bit about as a person first, separate from uh, from the work that you do. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, growing up and siblings, family, and, you know, things like that. Well, I come from a really um, musical family that goes back both generations and um, across the different sort of parts of the family tree, um, both my mum's side and my dad's side have a lot of music in them especially my dad's side quite a famous brass heritage really um hmm. i think probably a lot of people listening will know my father used to be co-principal trumpet of the royal philharmonic, philharmonic orchestra in london oh, wow. and the bbc symphony orchestra before that and played on a lot of soundtracks um right through the 80s and 90s things like return of the jedi and all the mad max films interview of the vampire interview of the vampire but before that, my great aunt Maisie was the first ever professional female trombone player in the UK. Hmm. In the 50s, in the Halley Orchestra with the legendary uh, Sir John Barbaroli. So 
um yeah she she was sort of a real uh, trailblazer for female brass players trombone players and then you know my dad was a very very well thought of trumpet player in this country certainly one of the best of his generation and then some of that not all of it some of it filtered down um and uh yeah i'm trying to sort of fly the flag in my own little way i mean i i grew up so from 1988 i can remember i always remember the year because my mum and dad were divorced and my mum was on a honeymoon with her new husband uh, in that year that's when they got married and it was during that honeymoon that i picked up the trumpet for the first time wow. and i can remember about a couple of months later i was quite fast out the blocks and it was only a couple of months down the line that my mum took me to join my first sort of local junior band which was you know for, for very young kids and i can remember that the very first piece that i ever played in this band was the theme from mash oh wow yeah yeah so um it, straight straight away from out the gates i was playing sort of tv and film music and i can, can well i can't remember a time when film music and tv themes weren't the sort of overriding influence on me musically really that because like any little boy growing up i loved watching all of those kind of tv programs like the a team and knight rider and um was it street hawk the one with the all of those sorts of things um and even like thundercats and you know all these all these um transformers all of these programs had just fantastic music anyway but then alongside that of course was all the film scores of that time and and i grew up with a number of films on my on video particularly john williams stuff so i was you know, watching E.T. and Star Wars and Indiana Jones uh, non-stop as a child. And then alongside that, of course, Bond. And one of the ones that I've always talked about was that when I was younger than when I started playing, in fact, when I was kind of five, six, seven, and my dad would be practicing for f three, four, five hours a day when he had me and my sister um, to look after when it was his, you know, his weekends or whatever we had where he had us. Um, he would he had made this video mixtape of all different action scenes and car chases and and it was just a brilliant brilliant uh, video one of my favorites we'll always put it on I must have worn it out and yeah. in amongst it all was the speedboat chase from Live and Let Die. Oh wow! So you can imagine as a five six seven year old you know boats flying through the air and all of that you know all of that great i mean that's an amazing scene anyway right. so i can remember bond being around me as you know really from the time i was walking really and therefore the music in part obviously was was a big influence on me there as well so connecting the trumpet to that when i found out that i could play this music myself albeit on a a, a much simpler level to start with to be able to make the music of this stuff that I loved listening to and watching on TV just connected me to it in a way that has always stayed with me. That that passion and that love of playing that music in particular is always what has um, been my favourite to, to play. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I brought up around orchestras. Obviously, I used to go with my dad all the time to the RPO and um, 
you know, so that that music is very something that that sits close to my heart. But above all, it's it's film music that I really, really am passionate about, and it's not just because of that childhood, really. Yeah. You know, now I'm curious. You've probably already answered the question, but I'll ask it anyway. Did um, you weren't pushed into this, were you? I mean, you actually said, you know, actually, I want to learn how to play the trumpet. You weren't like your dad or someone wasn't saying, okay. Okay, son, you know, pick this up. I want you to learn how to play it. I mean, were you drawn to it? You actually wanted to do that? It's a great question because I I think it definitely was a bit of both. And I, I always think it's really important when I talk to other parents. Obviously, I'm a parent myself now. And my eight-year-old daughter is learning the trumpet and doing really well with it. I've seen the videos, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I can, I, I kind of constantly have to walk the uh, the fence between being a bit of a tyrant, but then also saying, well, if you don't do it, that's fine. I, but I actually find when I do that, when I turn around and say, okay, if you don't do it, put it down, put it in the box, I won't make you play anymore, off you go, leave it. Always, she comes back and says, Daddy, I really want to play, I really want to play. <laughs> and as I was telling you, actually, earlier on, um, she's got her front teeth are through, and her second teeth are... Uh, sorry, she's got her front second teeth through and some of the other teeth around the sides are still coming out and one came out tonight and we had had a massive, massive drama with that and the first thing she said when this tooth finally came out she went, Daddy, will I still be able to play the trumpet? <laughs> oh my. <laughs> so, um, yeah. <laughs> it's in the DNA, it's in the but DNA. But I think, I think it's, I think it's, re- it, it is, it is, but I think it's really important to, um, have a balance of both because children i find this is just my experience other people may may have a different lived experience but my opinion and experience is that if left to their own devices especially in this day and age children will just sit and play a playstation until they're 21 and you kick them out and they have to find a job some point you have to say go and do your homework go and do your trumpet practice and you know if you turn if if i turned around and said um, to my parents, I really hate the trumpet. I don't want to play it anymore. They wouldn't have made me play it. But whilst I was committed to doing it, they would make me do my practice each day. Yeah. And, you know, say, right, have you done your practice? Go and do your practice. Um, all, yeah, all good points. I mean, and you're right. At the, yeah. Boy, times are a lot different than when you and I were growing up. You, you mentioned the PlayStation and things, you know, all these other things that are tugging at them for their attention and time. And uh, your point's a good one. It, it, Learning an instrument, or whatever, it may, or reading, or or playing sports, or whatever it may be, anything other than just sitting in front of a screen and playing video games has got to be a positive. So, yeah, and I think I think also the other thing as well is really important about learning an instrument, and this was definitely the case for me. Going back, you know, full circle to talking about my upbringing, when it comes to the point when you're able to make music with other people as part of a group, ensemble, band, whatever, orchestra that's where it comes to a different level and that's where you actually start to really because practicing on your own in a room is boring can be really lonely can be really Mm. frustrating but when you get and you're actually making music with other people it then becomes very social and very i mean opens i mean some of my greatest memories is in, in my childhood you know being away on tour and going on on uh music courses and even just the saturday morning rehearsals i just used to love that it was the best part of the week for me um, so, you know, that, that kind of, when you get to that point, you, 
don't need to be pushed as hard because you actually are seeing the results of your work and also it makes you competitive because if you're in a section of particularly trumpets you know you can be in a section of four five six seven trumpet players and you want to get to the top and you want to play all the solos and you want to play all the top parts for all those john barry and john williams scores and everything else so you have to practice to get there so right. that's where it kind of the, the motivation takes over from being needed necessarily to be pushed well one of the things i think that's going to be a, a great treat to our listeners today is that unlike what we typically do on programs where we we play cues from film scores, the actual scores themselves, the actual recordings that took place, because of what's so unique about Cue the Music, you guys recreate these cues and play them live for audiences. We thought that instead of, you know, playing the actual cues from the films themselves, we would actually feature your band, Cue the Music, playing some of the music from films. And, uh, and I'm real excited to, to share this with the audience because for those people that have not heard you guys, they're in for a real treat. Uh, and the first thing I thought we'd play, uh, because you chose a couple of things you wanted to feature today, is the, uh, uh, a suite from the film The Living Daylights, which was John Barry's swan song, if you will, uh, in terms of James Bond scores, and I love it. And uh, you guys did a really nice job on this. Tell me a little bit about uh, why you wanted to choose that amongst the many different uh, recordings that you guys have done well very much the same as what you described i mean i think first and foremost the score original score is absolutely brilliant uh it's just one of those things it's really hard always to rank these things even personally let alone actually what i think is the best you know you, you have times when certain scores are well, are sort of up there for you as ones you're listening listening to the most but living daylights for me has such a great blend of absolutely stunning, beautiful music, particularly, you know, towards the sort of back half of the film um, when they're in the Middle East. And then um, the action cues are absolutely, are absolutely brilliant as well. I mean, if I was being really hypercritical, some of it kind of feels a little bit repetitive. I mean, Barry did tend to do that a bit in the last couple of scores where, you know, you get three or four cues that had different names but really are the sort of same <laughs> yeah. same thing I understand. but um but they are absolutely brilliant and going to the sort of talking about recording these i mean this is one we recorded in during covid in our lockdown sessions where we got together for four days when we were allowed to with sort of social distancing social distancing in place and recorded about a hundred tracks and um this was one of my absolute favourites. I, I just absolutely loved the original track, the original score, and then actually having the opportunity, like I was saying before, really, to play that music live was real sort of chills moments. Oh, um, terrific. In particular, I absolutely love Cara Meets Bond. Uh, I think it's an absolutely beautiful piece of music. And it then is. Hercules Takeoff is, is just a sort of real adrenaline pumping fist pumping foot tapping um bit of bit of music by john barry so I, I just really really enjoyed everything i did with this playing it mixing it releasing it it was just a joy yeah it's a, a nice variety of uh, music and, and gives a great representation of the entire score so let's let's have a listen for ourselves again this is a from the film living daylights it's a sweet uh, the music is written by John Barry, but is performed by Warren's band called Cue the Music. Let's have a listen. 
You know, Warren, as, as I as I point out to our listeners repeatedly, and I'm sure most of them can figure it out, I, I, I'm not a musician. I don't really know a lot about music. I just know what I like and what I what doesn't move me and those sorts of things. It's my wife always maintains I have a great ear. She is musically trained, and she says, well, you have a good ear for this and that. And, okay, that's fine, but I really don't understand the ins and outs of it. And so what I'm curious about, and I think our listeners might find it interesting, you have a particular talent, and there are people out there that do this as well, but I'm just fascinated. How is it, if you could explain to someone like me that maybe you know doesn't understand a lot of musical terms and those sorts of things, how is it that you are able to, to, to listen to a film score. You don't have any sheet music in front of you, but you listen to the film score and you're able to recreate it and put it down on paper, sheet music, and be able to you know give it to the band so that they can recreate incredibly accurately what the original score sounded like. Is, is, there, is it possible to kind of explain a little bit about how that process works? Yeah, I mean, to sort of put it in the most simple terms is, is is just think of it as a language and you learn a language, don't you? You learn how to speak a language. So if you were or if I was trying to write down what you were saying now, I would just listen to what you're saying, pause it probably after a sentence, write it down, probably check it, make sure I got got it right and then play the next sentence, write it down. And that's really a simplistic way of looking at it. Um, but it, I mean, it really, it is that. And the more that you do it and the more years and experience you have, the easier it gets. I would say my skill level at it is good. There are definitely better transcribers and arrangers out there than me. And actually for some of the really, I'd say probably I've done about 75 to 80% of the ones that we do. And some of the more the really tricky ones, the David Arnold ones, etc. I I usually get somebody to sort of help me. I mean, in sometimes it's not even that I couldn't do it. It just it takes me so much longer than them, and it kind of gets to a point where it's it's just easier to get somebody because yeah, it. it takes so much time to to run and to do. It's, it really is. It's a full time job. Well, now I'm um, curious if if. When I'm listening to something, I, 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 I'm guessing you do this when you have to play it and, and, and you know, rewind it and play it and rewind it. You're listening, I, I'm guessing, for different instruments. You hear the violins playing this. Okay, so I write that down. I hear the horns playing this. Okay, I write that down. Would that be a, a, a way to explain it? Yeah, there are lots of different ways that people do it. It's a little bit like putting together a jigsaw puzzle as well because, obviously, if I want to follow the analogy through, if you now think about it as a whole group of people all talking and you're trying to get down what everybody's saying. Yeah. So it's quite hard sometimes to hear. And, and particularly in, in some of the older recordings, it really is just like trying to get everybody's conversations down when they're just stood in a bar all chatting at, at different times. I mean, maybe that's quite an extreme <laughs> an, a, a version of the analogy. But, you know, I think... In fact, some of the early Arnold, James Bond ones, there's so much going on. It's, you know, at a certain point, you're kind of almost making a best guess. But the the first thing you really need to do is, is work out what the harmony is doing and the bass is doing. Because if you've got a chord structure, then you can really work out from there what it's likely to be. And then there's a second part as well. And I think this is where I... I, I probably say I, 
have got quite a good level at is applying sort of principles of what makes sense because quite often i'll sit in other people's bands or sit in orchestras where we're trying out new arrangements or or, or whatever compositions and you can hear a mistake and it's not necessarily a mistake in that it would never be right in any context but you know that in the context of the style and the music that you're playing right then it's not appropriate it, it just it's like taking a a sort of 21st century um composition and it's and it's being used in a you know 19th century romantic piece of music where you just think that chord wouldn't be used there that's not right that's a wrong note that's not a that's not a quirky chord that they've put in just to be you know do something a little bit different so and you can definitely do that to a degree with with John Barry's stuff because he does tend to sort of have a thread going through all of his work where you know we all know it we, we all of us uh, film music fans know John Barry when we hear it don't we I mean if, if oh, something yeah. came on and you I mean I know this is never going to happen with you but if, if a John Barry piece of music came on the radio that you'd never heard before you'd probably go oh that sounds like Barry and then at the end the person will say by John Barry and you go well, I knew it was John Barry because he has a sort of his own language and his own way of writing so when you're transcribing that you kind of know what john barry would be doing there so if sometimes you can almost you don't have to actually sort of check your homework you kind of just go well i know that's what that is there yeah yeah it reminds me of um i don't know if you're familiar with it he wrote a theme for a tv news magazine here in the states uh, the show was called usa today it was like a tv version of the newspaper and i can remember hearing that music and saying gosh I love this piece of music. It's got to be by John, but I never saw a credit. I never saw his name. And I mean, years, years passed. And then all of a sudden, I was able to discover, yes, it was him. And so I, yeah. I understand what you're saying. I could I could tell, yeah. but I never had any concrete proof until I finally, you know, this thing appeared years later. Uh, I think his and, his and John Williams' music particularly stands apart for that. You know, if John Williams' music come comes on the radio... I can remember I was driving around years ago and um, Harry Potter score came. I didn't know it was Harry Potter and I'd never seen the films and I wasn't particularly familiar with the score. But the minute it came on the radio and it, well, I just turned it on the middle of when it was in the middle of it. And I, within a couple of bars, I thought this has got to be John Williams. And of course it was. But, it, you know, it's like I say, th these people do have a distinct kind of sound and um, you know, particularly I say, particularly with those two. And, and you see, so you know. Well, let's um, let's play another cue that you had uh, chosen, I, and I love this one. This is a little bit different. This is from from Russia with Love. Uh, the cue is called James Bond with Bongos, and you guys did a great job of recreating this. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, wanting to include that amongst uh, your favorites. Yeah, it's one of my favorite versions of the James Bond theme. I think it's it's my favorite arrangement of it since the very original recording you know just the, the bongos and yeah and i particularly love the um the marimba the and the, and the trombone off the stab trombone part towards the end um and one of the things i find really interesting with it and it's something that we put in this recording is that there is actually two i think two mistakes in the record in the original recording that got left in 
And this again comes back to what I was saying. You you know, it's just knowing what what would make sense and what doesn't make sense. And and it, it, to anybody else listening, they might not even notice it. But there's one little bit. Um, well, there's one bit that we left out. So there's a trom- I think there's a trombone that comes in the original in the wrong place with the middle section where it's supposed to come in. Ba-da, 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 da. Yeah. There's one bit where one trombone comes in on their own, goes ba-da, and then stops. And then also, um, towards the end, you've got the marimba where it goes da ba 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 And then it happens, I think, three times, and on the third time on the original, I think the... Um, is it marimba or xylophone? can't remember but it, it on the third time it plays an extra note on the original that's i think it's a mistake it goes but 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 and i'm i'm really sure it's an error and so when you when you come to transcribe it and then do a recreation do you play it as you think it's supposed to be or do you play it as it is on the original with that's the going to be my question so you did mm. what did you do well, I split the difference. So the trombone, which is definitely a, a definitely an error and sounds odd, we left that out, and then the marimba, we put it in. So even though I know it, it's an error, it, it's there, and we kind of doubled down on it a little bit and made it sound confident. Oh, that's that's fascinating. Well, let's let's have a listen for ourselves. Again, this is from the film From Russia with Love. This was the first uh, score that John Barry did for the James Bond series. Now, the cue is called James Bond with Bongos, and it's played by Warren's band Cue the Music.
We'll get back to our program in a minute. This program is done for the love of film and film music, plain and simple. However, it does take a huge investment in time and in fees for me to make the program work for you. I don't sell commercial time and don't really want to on this program. Rather, I'm kind of like a, a public broadcasting station. I need support from listeners like you. For as little as $3 a month, you can help me uh, uh, offset the time spent in putting the program together. Or maybe you just think of it as leaving a tip in the tip jar. Either way, if you can join up, uh, there will be bonuses, like an additional 10 to 15 minute segment with our guest every week, where we'll play additional cues as well as ask uh, some extra questions. And it's going to be only available to patrons. How do you sign up? Well, it's simple. You go to patreon.com slash what's the score, and that's all one word. That's Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash what's the score. Check it out. We'd be grateful for your support. That's Patreon.com. I'm curious, what was it that, because, I mean, you, you, had a, you had a day job, I guess, for lack of a better way of saying it, which was also about music, and you can talk about that if you'd like, but what was it that prompted you to, to take this big leap of faith and start your own band playing film music? I mean, which is, you know, a little bit out of the ordinary, to be, to be honest. Uh, what prompted you to do that? Um. A lot of things, and, it, and it's one of those things where it, it didn't really just happen one day where I just woke up and went, I'm going to do this, and then it happened. It, it it sort of came over many years. My dad ran a band. I was brought up around that band. It was a Herb Alpert tribute. Um, he finished it in 1990, and the last ever um, gig that he did, I was 11 years old. I got up and played a trumpet solo it was also a party band as well, I have to say. It was a Herb Alpert tribute. They did that for the first hour of the night, and then later they would do sort of a, a sort of pop and dance type right. band, so more sort of modern, up up tempo, up to date um, chart music. So I did a trumpet solo in the locomotion, the yeah. little is it little Eva, little Eva version. Is that right? That rings a bell. Anyway, whoever, um, and it sort of left such an impression on me. I just loved that whole thing of being around the band. That It was my dad's band, of course, very proud of that, you know. And then in 1998, sort of slash 99, I was at music college, at the Royal College of Music in London. I just started and I wanted to form my own band. I just had this desire to form my own band. So my sort of knowledge and sort of natural uh, journey, I think, made me go in that direction to start with, which was to go with a, a party band that 
you know, so we called it, so my dad's band was called the London Tijuana Show Band. So I dropped the Tijuana and went with the London Show Band. Dropped the Herb Albert side, just went with the sort of party band aspect mm -hmm. and ran that for five years. And it's a very competitive market. And around that time, through that period, I was really, really getting in massively into Bond. I wouldn't say that my childhood was just bond wall to wall because we didn't have all the films and it was only in my sort of late teens that i was really found access to all of the sean connery ones and, I, and I, the music particularly really was just on all the time for me i can remember as well we had a a theme tune james bond theme tune cd that was playing at music college and i think it just kind of fused my my thoughts of wanting to do the band wanted to kind of find a niche that nobody else was doing my love of film music and in particular james bond at that time and i looked around and there was no one anywhere in the world that had done a james bond tribute band there were lots of other tribute bands out there and so i decided i wanted to do it and i can i can still remember where i was actually the type the day that i was i'm going to do this i was on a motorway in really hot on a really hot day in traffic sat with the windows down and bond themes blaring out and i just thought this music is so great why has nobody ever done it on a sort of smaller scale where they can take a band to a party and play the bond tunes for a party and everybody told me there wasn't a market for it nobody would would want it agents wouldn't wouldn't book me for it um people wouldn't book us for it and the theaters wouldn't want it and so started a journey which is now in its 20th year with cue the music where wow. we had to sort of build and prove a market before we were actually able to then <laughs> go out and do work you know and do shows i mean our first theater shows that we ever did about uh, 12 years ago we were doing shows when there was nobody there. I mean, we did one show where we didn't sell a single ticket. Nobody oh came. And it really took an awful lot of uh, staying power. And I mean, you know, my, my wife and I funded all of this and nearly went bankrupt and went through terrible, terrible times financially. But I really believe there was an audience. And as we started to get more and more Bond fans were sort of getting behind us and seeing it and sort of saying we really love it it's brilliant you know that it, it it kind of made me believe that i was on the right track and then actually probably seven or eight years ago we started to see this sort of influence this sort of um what's what i'm looking for um uprising of film music concerts with particularly with bigger orchestras where they where they cottoned onto the fact that film music was really really popular mm. and that kind of gave us a little bit more of a, a platform to kind of build on and then of course once we actually made a, a market and found an audience and actually had shows that were selling okay was that suddenly every tom dick and harry went oh this bond thing's obviously pretty good and now there's loads of bands out there doing it really? um you know and shows do it. yeah there's 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 loads but i think where we're so different is that there is a real authentic love of bond you know i started as a bond fan doing this and i think a lot of the other people doing it for reasons where they're you know the oh this is this will be a, a you know a good way to 
bring in some extra dates, some extra money, whatever, you know. So I think my motivation has always been a deep love and passion of Bond and Bond music. And that's what's driven me to do it. It's not been um, a profit based thing, which is just as well. <laughs> you, 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 but you, you, you took the words right out of mouth. I, I, I wasn't planning to ask the question, but it was something I was thinking about before we talked today that I do sense that that. I'm not saying you want to go broke doing it and that you don't want to try to make a living or at least make a salary with it, but you're not doing this for for riches, per se. You're doing it because you just truly love it, and as long as you can make your expenses, maybe get a little bit of a salary out of it, you'd be happy. Would that be accurate? Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And I'm, I mean, I drive my wife mad with it. And <laughs> um, because, you know, because my attitude is if, if we sell a hundred tickets, I will put the best show I can on with a, for for a hundred people. If we can sell a thousand tickets, I wouldn't just go. Well, that's nine hundred more tickets that I can put the money in back pocket and go. I my attitude would be, well, I'll put, you know, double the size band on and we'll get bigger guests. And you know, I mean, it, it, we're getting or are trying to get anyway bigger guests every single year i mean this year coming up and i'm sure you're probably going to ask me about this but this year coming up we've got maud adams and Britt eckland um as our special guests at our concert you know yeah is, well we're going to talk more about that later yeah, so yeah but, so that's but that's where you you throw the money back into the uh, into creating the production because, value yeah yeah because you know cue the music has become so much for so many people it, it means so much to people and you know that I was just talking last night with some Q the Music f- supporters. I, I mean, I don't even call them fans; they're supporters because we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the support that we've had and continue to get. You know, on a financial level, I'm talking especially as as, as well as obviously people just coming and and physically being there. Right. But all of these people have kind of joined us on this journey and bought into this project and this this sort of community that we've sort of built and they all feel part of that journey and they're all on that um, journey so i can't be sort of looking at it as oh, i can just run off and buy a you know a huge great big house from selling loads and loads of tickets because <laughs> it's only possible because people are are supporting it and buying into that idea that they want to be part of it so yeah it, it's really important to give them the best possible experience that i can um because that's what they're there for you know yeah yeah um going back to the music you know and you i think you mentioned this earlier it's almost impossible to say you know this is my favorite or this is the best one or anything like that but I, i do have i think maybe three to five bond scores that are that are like tops for me and one of them is thunderball and you uh, mm, wanted to play a, a suite that you guys had put together for the music from that film um i could just listen to that stuff all day uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your rationale and in wanting to include that today well first of all this so this version that you're playing was recorded live at one of our shows at the her majesty's theater in the west end in london so, I mean, I think you actually hear the crowd at the end when we finish. But the reason that I put it on on that show was because it was it was in sort of tribute to the lockdown sessions, which we mentioned earlier. And we recorded this suite in the lockdown sessions. And 
for me, this has always been my favourite score. I'd say over the last 10 years that Honor Master Secret Service has sort of run it a very, very close second, if not joint first with Thunderball. But Thunderball was is the one I go back to. It was always my favourite in the past. I just love how dark it is and how massive the orchestra is and how you know the sounds that john barry's got i think it i think it's his best score it's so symphonic it it would stand on its own well like any of john barry's scores but this one in particular would would be you know i'm a big marla fan and i almost feel it, of all of his scores this is one that feels closest to being like a marla sort of symphony i mean oh. i know it's not but it feels like on that sort of epic scale of a Mahler symphony. Um, so when we did it in the lockdown sessions, I can't even tell you how much, how good it was and how excited I was to do it. I think we put it on the third day and it was the first thing that we recorded. And I was so excited about doing it that I couldn't sleep the night before. <laughs> I was honestly, I was awake till about three in the morning and I, was, I woke up again at five and I, I just, I was just staring. So I just got up because I was just adrenaline was just absolutely pumping through my veins because here was an opportunity to stand and play for real. You know, something that just meant so much to me and just had had such a powerful effect on me all my life, let alone as a child and as an adult. You know, both parts really as it has meant so much and motivated me and great you know the great thing about doing this music is if you're a bond fan is that you get to stand in the middle of it and it's like being wrapped in a blanket of of the bond music it's all around you it's you can feel the vibrations going right through your body you're playing it as well you know it, it's like a, a beyond a sort of 4d experience of the music you know that's that's such a an added extra to even sitting in a concert hall and listening to somebody else play it when you're actually on the stage and immersed in it. So my all-time favourite score to be able to play it was just incredible. So, yeah, we did it live, and again, <laughs> it was just amazing. So well, I'll stop and, talking. And, I, and I'm guessing you and the band probably get a little bit of an extra oomph or, or energy because you are performing it live in front of an audience. Would that be safe to say? Oh, absolutely and it's yeah. really hard as well this one it's because there's a lot of changes tempo changes um so yeah it's a it's a toughie okay well let's uh, let's have a listen for ourselves this again is from the uh, film thunderball it's a suite it's a mix of all different cues from the film itself of course it's written by john barry and played by our guests band cue the music Thank you. 
Warren, I know that um, it was probably my fault. I, I should have invited you for an episode that we did. It happens to be our most popular episode ever by far. And it was an episode about who who really wrote the James Bond theme. And we had a, a panel, if you will, of uh, James Bond fans, people that I respect that uh, gave us different perspectives on, on who wrote it and, or what was the story behind it. And we tried to give a balanced viewpoint on it. Um, and I, I should have had you there for that because there, there wouldn't be anybody probably more qualified than yourself to talk to it. And you were kind enough to kind of write some comments uh, about your observations on the uh, on the podcast and what we had talked about. And I was just kind of curious to give you a chance to kind of tell our listeners a little bit about uh, what your observations were uh, on the podcast and uh, with the conclusions that we drew and, and what your thoughts were on it. Yeah, I thought it was a really good podcast. I've done several myself, so I know uh, what it's like to do these things. And, and, you know, even the best one in the world, you can have all your notes and plans of everything you want to say. And when it comes to actually talking and you get sort of taken off the beaten track or, you know, you're trying to tick off every point, there are things that sometimes maybe were meant to be mentioned and just weren't or whatever. So, um, you know, absolute full credit to you guys for doing a really really good job but it was just a a couple of the discussion points that you were talking about that i just came on and just said oh here's a couple of things i think um maybe could have been added or or maybe just adding on to the conversations that you had um so one of the things that uh, that were you know you were, i think you were talking around the fact that about barry um not getting the credit maybe that he deserved on the soundtrack but the fact is barry took on that contract knowing that it was the explicit understanding that monty would get all the writing credit um and i know that the guys on the podcast that were doing it i know that knew that that they know that uh any of your listeners that weren't aware of it that you know barry knew that he would never get credit it was in his contract that 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 he wouldn't that, that he monty would get all the hundred percent of the writing credit. Um, I made a minor point about you know that you were talking about the difference between orchestrating and arranging, um, and someone said that orchestrating is what notes go on what instruments, which is pretty much it. Arranging is normally more in depth than orchestration, uh, and can, by the industry's understanding of the role it can encompass the very level of work that Barry did to Norman's theme. However, even Norman's team, Monty Norman's team, legal team, in the court case, they admitted that the arrangement that John Barry did was extreme. So even when people sort of say John Barry arranged Monty Norman's uh, tune, even Monty Norman's own legal team admitted that it was an extreme arrangement, i.e. way beyond, you know, any sort of basic or normal arrangement that it was taken to another level. Um, it was have been, I just put, just put it, would have been good to have pointed out that everybody in the court case all agreed that Barry was solely responsible for providing that four-note vamp, the da-da-da-da, that was all that was Barry that contributed that. 
uh, although it's often pointed out that it was actually used in Artie Shaw's Nightmare long before Barry actually used it. So it's not an original Barry thing. You know, it's it's a, a compositional idea that Barry himself probably lifted from somewhere else, possibly from Artie Shaw's Nightmare. But Norman's team really tried to poo-poo that, that contribution by... Um, by Barry by calling it pretty basic and standardly used, which you know I think's a little bit, a little bit naughty, really. You know, just to try and dismiss anything that Barry did bring by saying, "Oh, yeah, there's there's nothing really to that." Um, oh, what about? And again, I'm you know, hopefully I'm not off key or anything. What about the part that da 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 da? Did did Monty write that part? Do you think? Well. This is a little bit of a controversial one because Monty's team tried to claim that that was derived from a very simple idea within bad sign, good sign. Really? Huh. But it's it's so tenuous that I don't know how... I don't know whether they su- successfully managed to argue that point in the court because, it you know, none of these things were ever really decided in the court it, it people often make the mistake of and i'm sure this was mentioned your podcast comment because it was you know nearly a year ago now and i'm sure peter would have greenhill would have made this point but people often make the mistake of of saying oh it was proven in court that monty norman wrote the james bond theme no it wasn't the only thing that was proven in court was that monty norman had been defamed in the article that mm. was the sole purpose of that court case was that Monty Norman took the times to the um to the court because they kind of written some really unkind comments about him which weren't true i mean they weren't they weren't fair and they weren't true and at the very least you have to give monty norman part credit for writing the james bond theme because he did write that theme no matter how basic no matter how simple and skeleton a part that was given to Barry to work up Bar- John Barry did use it so therefore yeah. Monty Norman has to at least have a credit if not the composition and, and as you said the contract stated that Monty Norman would get all the the, uh, the rights so that court case was only ever just try. It was the Times trying to sort of back up their argument of, that they'd said that John Barry wrote the James Bond thing, which he didn't. He may have written large parts of it, but you cannot say in an article, John Barry wrote the James Bond theme, Monty Norman didn't do anything, because that's just not the case. Right. And yeah. that's what was side decided in the court. Not that John Barry didn't write it. It was just that the Times were wrong to say that that... Monty Norman didn't write it. Right, that right. Makes sense. No, good. But, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I was just going to go and say what I find really interesting with the court case and subsequently is that, despite Monty Norman's team admitting that Barry brought that vamp part that I was mentioning, the da 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 da, da you know, even Monty Norman's team admit that that was Barry's contribution. But after the court case and after John Barry died. Norm, Monty Norman many times over began miraculously waving his found, and I'm putting my fingers in the air with quote marks, 
found his original manuscript of the James Bond theme, which he gave to John Barry, which contains the vamp in it. Oh, my. So let's just say that sounds very, very dodgy. <laughs> because, you know, there are there are, there are are articles and, and there are um, videos on YouTube that you can go and see Monty Norman with this ripped bit of manuscript paper, you know, the, the right. sort of the burnt edges thing where, I, I mean, call me cynical, but, you know, I can remember in school making treasure maps and stuff and you had to burn the edge of the paper to make it look really old and all of that nonsense. <laughs> but... Monty Norman is waving on screen this bit of paper around, which he says is this is my original manuscript that I wrote the good sign, bad sign, the James Bond theme on, and it's got the vamp on it, which Monty Norman's own team admitted John Barry contributed after that supposed manuscript was written. <laughs> so, ah, <laughs> uh, it's just one of those things that's never going to end, probably. But, uh, and you know, we we didn't. We didn't end the discussion on it by any means, but uh, but. Would you mind if we... I just made one more point before? Sorry, sure, I know you want sure. To, you, you're moving on, and I, there's one more really important point that I don't think is ever said enough, because everybody uses the recording of Monty Norman with his good sign, bad sign, as like here's or oh, sorry, bad sign, good sign. It's I always get it round the wrong way. It's bad sign, <laughs> good sign. But you know the recording, and I'm pretty sure you played it on your podcast, didn't you? Did you play it? I believe it? we did, yeah. Yeah. It's the one from the Completing the Circle recording. And everybody sort of plays it and says, look, here's proof. Here's Monty Norman's original composition that he did, the bad sign, good sign. But what people fail to sort of mention, and I'm, forgive me because you guys didn't, and but hey, join a very, very long queue of people that never do mention it. That was recorded 40 or 50 years after the fact. So... It's all very well saying, here's what I wrote before the James Bond theme was written. But you're hearing a recording that he's back written and back recorded or, or made to sound like it was done before the James Bond theme. But it was actually done 40 years after. There's no score. There's no recording, any fleshed out piece of music that anyone's ever seen of bad sign, good sign, other than this really, really basic, very, very basic one line part that was the, the supposed manuscript that he originally got from his bottom drawer and gave to John Barry yeah, yeah. so whenever you sort of hear this recording and, and people use it as kind of evidence to say here was Monty Norman's original it isn't it, it's something that he recorded 40 years ago 40 years afterwards where he could basically put whatever he wanted in to kind of make his point of oh look what this is what I had originally Oh, Do you see boy. what I mean? I, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'll be yeah. careful what I say because I, I know, oh, I know. Monty Norman's not with us anymore. But it does seem that when everybody else in the Bond world, as they got older, and you're sort of talking about people doing interviews from when they did Doctor No 50, 60 years ago or whatever, everybody always has trouble remembering all the details. And as time goes on, people forget more and more because you're talking so many years ago monty norman's the only person in the james bond world who actually remembers more as he gets older <laughs> <laughs> it's like more details keep coming out oh you've never come out with that before it just it just occurred to me boom <laughs> well thanks for your comments on that again that was and if if you haven't listened to it i would encourage people to listen to the episode it's i 
I think it's interesting. And again, I, hopefully it gives a, a balanced view of what transpired and what the court case, as you had said, uh, proved or didn't prove and, uh, and tries to be uh, respectful of all the parties involved. And, uh, it, you know, what can I say? It's just, uh, it was an interesting piece of film music history. Um, Another cue you chose is from, you know, a lot of people, I guess I'm in the minority here. This is actually one of my favorite Roger Moore films, and I loved the score for it. And I was excited to see that you wanted to include this uh, to play today. The uh, cue, the music's version of, uh, from Man with the Golden Gun, the cue is called Scaramanga's Funhouse. Tell me a little bit about how what it was like to recreate that and record it. Well, like everything else, just brilliant, brilliant fun. And so I've just been writing an article about this um, score for, for my concert program for this year. And John Barry sort of famously described uh, probably a bit later on and then subsequently after he finished the James Bond scores, but he described it as writing million-dollar Mickey Mouse music, didn't he? You must have heard that quote. Oh, yeah. And I, I've sort of said I think that if you want a really good example of him sort of doing that. I think the man with the golden gun in places really does achieve that because I mean, obviously you've got the slide whistle in um, let's go get him for the, for the gun barrel right. stunt, which, you know, he says he later regretted, but that kind of really does feel like that's what he's talking about there. But I think Scaramanga's Funhouse also plays into that a little bit because I mean, you literally have a score that John Barry's composed where it's going doon, Dune, 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 creeping up, bad person. Like, you know what I mean? It's, if anybody else did this, it would be almost, you know, it would be done in a cheesy way. But John Barry is able to do this stuff in such a classy, you know, melodic as well, just genius way that it, it, it doesn't feel cheesy and it and it feels brilliant but it shouldn't work it should be it should sound really really you know over the top 101 record uh, composition but it's it's brilliant and then of course you have these great cutaway moments where you're cutting to this sort of saloon western um music you know sort of almost trad right. jazz and it and then cutting straight back again into this sort of tense creeping music and really, I mean, has anybody done that sort of tension music better than John Barry? I, don't, I, I can't think of anybody that's done it better than that. And, so, and if I remember right, too, he had, did I, do I understand this right? He had like two weeks to, to compose, I, I guess, and record the score. I don't know if it was yeah, two weeks. Well, yeah, something three, like that. Three weeks, if I'm splitting hair. So he had... He was in the middle of recording Day of the Locust. And I think I was just funny enough. I, I know all these these dates because I literally was writing this article yesterday. So he recorded the song. And bear in mind. So this is unbelievable. So throughout August, he's writing the score for Day of the Locust, which is a, a film, right. obviously. Then he that he flies it. Or he's, he's in England on the 4th of September to record The Man with the Golden Gun with Lulu. So he's written it at some point at the same time he's doing Day of the Locust. He then flies out to L.A. for a week of recording Day of the Locust from the 16th of September, finishes recording that, 
Then he sits down to write the Man with the Golden Gun score. So we're talking, what would that be, around about the 23rd of September. Uh And then he's back in London in the middle of October, around about the 16th, 17th of October, to record the score over five days for Man with the Golden Gun. I mean, that is some schedule. Yeah, (laughs) quite... Yeah, and, and that's only one of several examples I think of where he's been able Absolutely. to do a quick turnaround Absolutely. like that. It's amazing. Well, let's uh, let's have a listen to this for ourselves. This again is from the film *Man with the Golden Gun*. It's written by our favorite composer, at least mine certainly, John Barry. Uh, the cue is called *Scaramanga's Funhouse*, and it's played by our guest's band. Cue the music.
Obviously, on today's program, we're focusing on uh, Cue the Music and, and the work that they've done, uh, the work that you've done on recreating and performing these cues from the James Bond films. I'm, I'm just kind of curious, have you ever been interested in doing or have you ever uh, tried to do the same thing with uh, other composers' works uh, from other films? Other than the James Bond films, I realize you've done things with, uh, you know, David Arnold and other James Bond composers, but you mentioned John Williams earlier, and uh, perhaps there's some others. I'm just kind of curious, have you ever uh, tried to recreate any of those uh, cues from scores that, let's say, a John Williams or a Jerry Goldsmith have done? Uh, no, not in a in a sort of authentic tribute kind of way that we do with Cue the Music, because you know, you'd need an orchestra to do it. Whereas with the Bond... See, I often have this really difficult argument when I'm trying to sell Cue the Music because as a Bond fan, and I am one, so I get it, but as a Bond fan, we think of Bond music as orchestral music. But really, after You Only Live Twice, they're not. They're pop and rock songs with a bit of orchestral backing. And actually, oh. in some cases, very little of that. It's sort of more, you know, things like View to a Kill and... Your eyes only don't have any orchestra at all. It's really all about the band. So, with a band like ours, and, and it's a, obviously a large band, thirteen, sometimes thirty. You know, we go up to even bigger bands, and we bring in extra strings and stuff. But you can certainly pull off a tribute to it and not feel shortchanged musically. Or certainly, that's what our supporters feel about uh, about it. Well, I would but agree. By the way, that. it's amazing what, what you guys put out with such a small group of people. Really, I mean, yeah, but that's what I was saying though. Because really, it it's actually about about the feel of the of the pop and rock. So I this is going to right clang this one. Sorry to drop this name here, but I once had a really nice conversation with David about this and he said that he wouldn't do something like what that we're doing because he would struggle to see how you could do it in an or with an orchestra because you'd need to bring in massive amounts of amplifiers and everything else in a concert hall and have days and days of technical rehearsals because you'd really need to get that rock side of it right with the orchestra and it's very hard to do but if you flip it around and build it from the band side and then you know how how compact can you go without losing the sound and authenticity and I, for me that was always 13 or 14 musicians and obviously with our big london shows we go bigger than that but i think that we can do it with 13 or 14 and not sort of lose anything i, I really don't think you can go smaller than that and i know other bands do and, and good luck to them but to me it doesn't sound the same. It doesn't. It, it starts to lose the Bondian-ness. We made up a word there, yeah. or the Bondness of the sound, and it just becomes a band playing James Bond songs. You know, it stops becoming a Bond tribute, and it's just a Bond. It's just a band playing Bond Bond songs, which any band can do. That you know, uh, uh, I say good luck to them. But I think if you want it to retain that Bond sound that we all know and love. There, there comes a point where you know it doesn't work if you go too small. Yeah, it, it must have been a thrill to uh, 
<clears throat> to know that David Arnold is not only familiar with your work, but to actually had high praise for it. Oh, it was one of the the best things ever. So he he'd said some nice things to me in private, but then he came out on David Saritsky's uh, channel, The Bond Experience, in an right. interview, and David just asked him a question sort of off the cuff about I think I think what it was he'd asked for some questions and I'd fed in a question and he said oh I've got a question from Warren Ringham and it just opened up about a two minute um sort of well download that he gave about how great the band is and how we get it and what was it he said we're phenomenal or something like that you know and I was just sitting you know when it when David told me I just couldn't believe it it was the the proudest moment of my life really because david arnold's an absolute hero of mine so it just made all the hard work and the sacrifice and everything else that we've done over the years that really made it worthwhile because it didn't really matter what anybody ever said ever again after that when your hero <laughs> and such a legend likes it then that's all that matters to me that's yeah. the, the opinion that matters to me yeah let's uh Let's play another cue that you had chosen, uh, which is from another, I guess, probably one of my top five scores from the Bond series. Um, the film I'm talking about is Diamonds Are Forever, and the cue is called 007 and Counting, um, which is, I don't know, for, for the band, that's a little bit kind of a different cue for you guys to play, but yet you recreated it beautifully. Tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, why you wanted to play that one today. Well, it is so popular so popular with fans uh, i think it really? it's probably huh. i yeah i found it and actually i i didn't realize how much i loved it until i i got to play it in this these sessions and then it's yeah it's one of my favorite cues as well um yeah maybe it took me a little bit by surprise sometimes you know you know how sometimes different songs and different things you get a different appreciation of them at some point in your life. It can be it can be any event, you know. Obviously, it may not be for you playing it, but it may be seeing it in a particular screening in a particular setting, and it just has an impression on you that lasts then forever that maybe you didn't have before. Could be the film as well. May not may not just be a score or a particular cue. But for me, this one, when I was on stage when it was being played, it just. I just got it. I got. It. I suddenly really understood why everybody that I know always always mentions it. It's always one that comes up as a request or as a favourite. Wow, and so that's why I, I put it in here today because I thought it would be popular with your listeners. Excellent. Well, let's have a listen for ourselves again from the film Diamonds Are Forever. Uh, the cue is called 007 and Counting. Again, written by John Barry and performed by Cue the Music. Thank you. 
So I know you've uh, you you guys have taken a hiatus at one point, and uh, you've been kind of you know deciding exactly what the future holds for the band and those sorts of things. Kind of tell me a little bit about uh, what uh, the year twenty twenty four has in store for Cue the Music. Yeah, well, we were, so it's sort of quite infamous now that we announced that we were finishing our last show was supposed to be October twenty twenty two. And then we had so many calls, so many people saying, please, you can't finish yet. You know, we've got to keep it going. What can we do to kind of keep it going? So I ended up turning it into a break. And that was supposed to be a break for three or four years. But then I realized that <laughs> if we were if we were going to come back, uh, it was not going to be possible if we waited three or four years i just we wouldn't have survived i don't think we would have been a startup again and i just couldn't have faced that it would have too much difficulty to go through so it turned into a year break and we did one show the following year i.e last year and then this year we're doing 12 shows and then hopefully next year um well i should, should be going full time with it because i would be I will have a pension behind me so I can afford to. Oh. Uh, and yeah, we'll be we'll be going full time with it doing. I, I'd like to think we could do 20 UK shows and I would love to do some shows in the US. I know that there are many people out there that are desperate for us to go out. And obviously, and you know, I'm big, one of them. <laughs> yeah, the problem is with the US, it's such a big place and the Bond fans are so scattered out across oh, the Oh, I know, and, so. and I can't imagine the expense and everything else. I mean, I'm sure it would be oh, a logistical nightmare, but I, I hope yeah. that somehow you can work that out. I hope so as well. I hope so as well. It's definitely an ambition and a dream, and uh, it is something that I'm looking into um, in a year or two's time. I'm, I am really thinking about that. So, yeah, that would be a, a, a big... Um, bucket list dream of mine to do that and we'll just see where we go from here really that one of the things that we are doing is every single year we're coinciding a big london concert with an anniversary film or anniversary film so last year we had live and let die 50 so from russia love 60 live and let die 50 octopussy 40 where we had um uh, christina wayborn and the two twins tony and, and david mayer and we also had martin beswick from from russia with love so they came on stage did a little bit of a of an interview and talking about their memories and then we played cues from those films so we did a very much a musical tribute to them uh, you know a 10 minute octopusy suite a 12 minute live and let die suite you know opening credits from russia with love with the organ so we had you know we had it we had a really good fun with that this year we're turning our attention to uh, Man with the Golden Gun, 50, and Goldfinger, 60. So we're going to have 20 minutes from Goldfinger of music from there. And then Maud Adams and Britt Eklund, we mentioned earlier, will be our special guest this year, introducing a couple of numbers from from the Man with the Golden Gun score, including Scaramanga's Funhouse, which we played earlier, um, and also Let's Go Get Em. So that's kind of where we're going. And then, you know, every year, you've got, always got another anniversary to look forward to. So got lots of plans for the coming years of music and guests that will mark you know these these incredible anniversaries now for those of us that aren't uh, lucky enough to to live in the uk and be able to take in one of your shows and those sorts of things is there another way that we can you know get a chance to at least uh, 
hear the guy hear the band play and uh, you know maybe take in some of the fruits of your efforts yeah lots lots of ways um main one obviously being youtube <laughs> that's the that's the one it's a good place to start because we've got over a hundred different songs and cues on there so you, i mean you could you could spend more than a day a full day and watch your way through all those videos and all those performances and i mean i'm talking about 100 different tracks as well not just the same ones over and over so there's an awful lot there to, to digest and actually the quickest way to find all of those if you go to our website cuethemusicshow.com and click on videos it's got them all listed on there and you can just click on the name and then it'll open up the youtube video and you can keep going back there rather than having that awkward thing of scrolling through and trying to find all the the different ones and they're all listed chronologically as well which is useful yeah um and if you if you go on the website and then click on see the show that'll give you a list of all the dates and where you could come and see us if you are able and lots of people i know it's a huge undertaking but we do have lots of people flying in internationally for our big shows um in in london particularly oh, yeah. in the october one we get a lot of people coming from america for that um and also if you can if you can come and join our free friend scheme if you click on q music show again go to the website click on sign up it's free you get all the latest information and then one day hopefully when we are coming to the us that'll be how you'll hear about it it uh, i would tell my listeners look i mean please check out the videos i think you'll be very impressed that's not to say that it would be a substitute for seeing them live i there there's something about seeing music performed seeing and hearing music performed live and in person that uh, has a, a much bigger impact but nonetheless the videos do an excellent job as i hope the cues we've played today do an excellent job of showing just uh, how amazing the the band is and recreating that sound thank you thank you for saying so and yeah i really hope people people enjoy it uh, i think they will warren listen i i can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us again uh, to share some of the success that you've had with cue the music i hope people have learned something about not only about your band but also just uh, the the art of composing for film and recreating those uh, cues like you guys do uh, it's been a joy and a delight to talk with you today. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. I have, I have. And are you thanking me for my time there? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Anyway, my thanks again to our guest Warren for joining us and sharing some of his insights and his music. Good luck to him. My thanks to all of you, our listeners, and in particular our patrons who uh, support the program. In fact, we'll have a short little bonus clip with Warren uh, for our patrons here. Uh, that'll be posted pretty soon after the original episode is up. Uh, so my thanks to the patrons and all the listeners uh, for your time and for your support of the program. And so with that, there's only one thing left to say, and that's what Warren likes the most. That's simply this, that my name is Frank R. Wilson. My time's up. I thank you for yours. Thanks for listening to What's the Score? <laughs>